Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great podcast episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development, as well as help your organization succeed and all of the people in it. That is what we are all about. That's been our mission since the beginning, since we started back in 2018, and we continue that mission well into 2023 and beyond. And you know, I've had some really great guests over the last few years on the podcast, and we're continuing that today. Today's topic is cultural transformations, and maybe culture in general is more of a bucket to think about it. But how do we think about those big shifts that we need to make in our organization, and especially when there's a big strategy change or there's an acquisition, and some people might be particularly resistant to it. How do you think about that as well as creating a great culture, the people involved, the stakeholders? My guest today is someone who has been involved in many of these for more than a decade. Sam Warbeck has dedicated his career to developing talent at scale across industries from 70 to 70,000 people across banking, telco, energy, and food service, world-famous brands, and portfolio-holding companies. Sam is currently the head of talent management, development, and technology for Red Ventures, a global portfolio with thousands of employees, all helping people make life's most important decisions. Prior to Red Ventures, Sam worked at Chipotle for six years. And before he got into talent development, Sam grew up with a blue-collar work ethic and fell in love with both the arts and business along the way. The combination of the three has given him the creativity to see the world as it could be, the work ethic to build it, and the business savvy to ensure it's worth the effort in the final place. And Sam is someone I've been connected with for some time on LinkedIn. We didn't get a chance to talk until this conversation, and I'm looking forward to bringing you in on this so that we can learn from Sam his experience with cultural transformations as well as handling a pretty tough challenge at Chipotle. As I heard, he was there in 2016 when they faced the E. coli crisis and made some major, major changes. So we're going to talk about that and many other things. Sam is pretty active on LinkedIn if you want to reach out to him there. And before I get started, I want to remind you also that I run a membership community called the Talent Development Think Tank. And we have guest speakers come in on a regular basis to lead calls. We have calls every Wednesday usually at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, guest speakers, open forum calls, lots of great conversations between people across talent development, talking about things like cultural transformations and many others. And I plan on having Sam as a guest speaker in 2023. So if you'd like to join us there, come check us out. All the information is on our website, tdtt.us. And now without further ado, here's my conversation with Sam Werbeck. All right, Sam, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Great great to be here, Andy. Yeah, really great to have you on. And we've been connected for a while. It's great to finally, you know, talk to you face-to-face, so they say, on Zoom, right, and have a conversation. Yep. You know, I was looking at your background, and, and you've worked in a number of different roles and industries. What if you could tell us, before we get into some of that background and the work you've done, and, and we're going to talk today about cultural transformations, organizational transformations. I think this is definitely a a topic a lot of people are interested in. Tell us about this role you're in at Red Ventures and and why did you take this compared with lots of other things you could be doing? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Red Ventures is probably a, a name of a company no one's ever heard of. We're a portfolio company with a bunch of brands underneath us, all in digital media arenas, but a bunch of different industries, a bunch of different companies, things like bank rates, the points guy, Healthline, CNET. So across industries, all hmm. digital media brands. And so the exciting thing to me was, you know, as you come here, we're trying to be both a digital media kind of future focused data and tech marketing company, while also being a culturally focused organization that develops young talent from within hmm. to run those brands. And so I love the combination of those two things. How do you take these major tech and media brands and teach young talent how to operate these businesses, run these businesses across industries? It almost doesn't matter what the industry is. The skills yeah. are the same and you can apply it regularly. So the organization is is working with these smaller or newer companies coming into the fold and helping them become more successful. You're working with some of the people as well as the the talent internally at Red Ventures. Exactly. So I'm the head of central talent. So I oversee our recruiting functions across the top layer of those brands, our learning and development, talent management, and employee engagement to make sure that culturally we're kind of holding the same bar for talent across the organization. And then we've got local HR embedded within each of those functions. Yeah, right on. So before this, you were head of learning and internal comms at Chipotle. I was. And I'm sure that that was a, a, a pretty interesting ride over the few years, uh, being a very exciting company. I've been a Chipotle shareholder for many years. And I remember back in 2016, when the stock price was was going way down because of the E. coli crisis that was going yes. on. And I think you were head of learning then. So what was that like on the inside? You know, it, it probably felt like the stock as you were watching it as a shareholder, the ups and downs of the stock price kind of mimicked the experience where, <laughs> I mean, I was there from kind of the rise of it from 35,000 people to 70,000 people. Yeah. So we doubled the size of the company, which was great times and kind of the rise of Chipotle. The E. coli crisis was an intense time for a culturally focused company to have something mm -hmm. like that happen. Stock price tanked, operations of the company transformed overnight, three CEOs over the course of about nine nine to 12 months. Mm. It was a, a massive time and you could see the company shifting over time. So to be there for this rise where we're focusing on culture and developing people from within, and then this stint of Oh shit, we got to like pull back. But to be there for the rise where, you know, things are uh, going great, we're focused on developing people from within. We have a crisis where we need to literally change the restaurant. How does change? We didn't focus a lot on human growth or development from within. We were talking about things like being vulnerable leaders right before mm -hmm. that. And now we have to talk about how does salmonella and E. coli transfer from one surface to another, very different topics organizationally. And so it was a wild time, very stressful in the middle of it, learned a ton yeah. and then got the ship right in it. Obviously in the past five years, the Chipotle has been on another tear in a digital yeah. transformation. So it was fun to be the rise, the fall. I kind of got it back on the rise again. And then was looking for the next thing. You can only make so many guacamole videos to teach people. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we called it a crisis and I'm sure it very much felt like that on the inside, but I remember looking at it, you know, on the outside with a kind of a, a logical lens saying, this is really only a few incidences. I'm sure they're going to, you know, it's not really that big a deal. I'm sure they're going to get it figured out. So I actually, one of the smarter things I did as an investor is I, I bought the stock multiple times on the way down during that time. And of course that paid off. It's up, I don't know, 5X since then or whatever. But you know, it still felt, I'm sure it felt like a crisis internally. And as you said, you needed to make a lot of shifts 
right? And I know the company was already very people focused and I think you needed to shift more towards operations, right? Well, operations. And really, if you think about what Chipotle was growing up, it was the same recipes and the same food over and over again. And the menu never used to change. It was Mm -hmm. always the same ingredients, the same recipes. And so for the first 18 years of the company, the whole operational agenda was consistency and replicating the same thing over and over again. And when the crisis happened, we changed, I think there are only like 70 procedures in there, 60 to 70 procedures in the restaurant to make all the food. We rolled out over a hundred over the course of a year, which means we were changing the same procedures multiple times. So Mm. one was just changing the operations of the restaurant, but the second was creating an organization that could adapt to change where before we did not adapt to change. We did, we're mm. not accepting of change at all. It was do the same thing over and over again because that's what our customers want. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it was, no, as an organization, 70,000 people need to be able to change a procedure times every restaurant every single week to keep up with the changing food safety protocols and things like that. So that yeah. shifted how the company thought and operated. And still to this day, they're still able to change on a dime, which was a fascinating transformation. Right. How do you shift that mindset and culture? Because I, I'm, I'm imagining in one, before you've kind of built this culture of, hey, we've got these simple procedures. It works. We don't want to change anything. We don't need innovation. I'm sure the company was open to new ideas, but it sounds like, hey, we've got these these few procedures. We do it this way to now we're changing everything. We're open to change. We want people who are open to you know bringing new ideas. That, that seems like a big shift. It, it, it's um, like I would call it 50% a big shift and 50% driving the same behaviors. What we were great at was hardcore operations, driving consistency of procedure. And so our teams knew how to take a procedure, teach it to people and implement it. What they had to get better at was doing it quickly and over and over again, times, times all of the procedures in a restaurant. And the biggest thing was changing the way we had done it for years and getting comfortable with it. So a lot of it came down to how do we even communicate this frequently with the restaurants? We didn't even have mechanisms to do that. And so a lot of it was as a company, we need a more frequent internal communications engine to be able to mm-hmm. say, here's what's going on. Here's what you need to know. And then here are the steps and and the things to, to go along with it. And so the first step was just finding a way to communicate with 70,000 people every single week. And so that was the launch of a whole internal communications initiative and campaign and mm. weekly news series that started just keeping people top of mind with what the changes were. And then the second was, how do you get 70,000 people, get the information in their hands right. to be able to then do what we do best, which is operationalize it and make it happen. And so simultaneously, we ended up rolling out new technology inside the restaurants, new iPads, and then offline learning. All the training that we created has got to be offline inside a restaurant because the internet is just not not high speed and not fiber mm. internet in those restaurants. And so there were a lot of organizational challenges where we had to shift the technology and the operations of the company to enable yeah. our teams to be able to change on a dime. And then the muscle of teaching people and educating, we were able to rely on that once we could get the information in their hands. But that was right. honestly the biggest struggle up front. Yeah, I bet that was huge. And and we're obviously, we're talking mostly about frontline hourly workers. So it's not like you can just send everybody an email or have them go through training in their own time. I know there's probably laws against that or, you, you know, them being exactly. able to use their own devices, that sort of thing. So you've got to really get creative. Exactly. And even then, like historically, the managers knew the procedures after 30 days of doing the same thing over and over again, it's kind of committed to memory. 
when you're changing it every week, managers were even people that have been there for 20 years were forgetting mm. how to cook the chicken because we had changed the procedure and it was okay. I need something to fall back on and rely on to make sure I know exactly how to do this. Yeah. So it was on us to enable them, give them the tools and resources to make sure they could keep up with that kind of a change. Yeah. I know you've been involved in a number of different transformations, probably observed a lot of transformations and cultural changes. And so, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot. I'm curious. What do you see companies doing wrong? What are the mistakes that a lot of companies are making when looking to make a big shift like what we're talking about or, or anything else? I think, you know, a lot of companies get to the the how of things. They get to the nuts and bolts of procedures of this is this is what it is and it's steps. It's a lot of stuff, but we miss the why and we mm. miss rallying people around why it is we want to do this way or why we should be thinking this way. And what I think I found over the time at Chipotle and through, you know, we've acquired probably six or seven major companies at Red Ventures in my time here. And consistently, the how will always happen. We can figure out the steps. But once you rally people on the why, why are we doing it this way? Why should you care? All of a sudden, transformation becomes a whole lot easier because the steps are just things you have to do versus when a company forgets the why and they anchor on the steps. It's just a to-do list of things, but there's no real commitment and you don't really win the hearts and the minds of people along the way. You just get them doing a task. And I think to mm -hmm. really have sustainable change, they've got to buy into it. And your organization, your leaders, your mid-level managers, and your frontline employees all need to actually buy in to the why behind the change. Otherwise, you'll have kind of a short-term win. You can do anything for a week, two weeks, 30, 60, 90 days. But if you yeah. want years-long change, they have to buy into why it is we're doing it and really feel it themselves, feel that commitment. Yeah. I know you mentioned going through multiple acquisitions there at Red Ventures. Many of our listeners work for large companies that are engaged in acquisitions all the time, right? And there's that challenge of, hey, if we're bringing them into the fold, how do we assimilate cultures or bring them into the culture? And you're talking about you know, winning the hearts and minds and having people come around to the why, a lot of times people are being forced into this, right? Like there's an announcement, guess what? We are now owned by another company and you're part of this other company. Yeah. How do you, you know, work on assimilating cultures so that people feel like they're now part of the new culture? It, it, it's a great question. And I think a problem that so many people face because it, it totally depends on the company and the culture. And mm -hmm. so I think what I found by doing multiples of these is there isn't one playbook the playbook changes depending on the two cultures that are merging. So we've had, I've had scenarios where we're pretty aligned culturally. We just need to say, take your verbiage with our verbiage and figure out, we, we actually mean the same thing on 80% of these, 20% hmm. we've got to work through. I've done it before where you don't do that work and you just say, hey, here's our beliefs. Here's the way that we do things. So get on board uh, and this is what it looks like. And it's revolt, even though we're 80% of it is the exact same. Right. It's different words. It's taking the time up front to really understand how do you work? And you've been successful. That's why we're what's usually why we're acquiring you is yeah. you've had a long track record of success. So let's decipher what that has uh, what that's been. Here's what we've got. And when we combine these two and create this new culture that is largely based on what we have, but we want to add you to it as opposed to just you becoming part of us everything changes then. We call it a, a stew. Red Ventures is mm. constantly a cultural stew when we're adding different ingredients over time. And over time, 
the stew looks completely different years later because we've added different ingredients, but that's yeah. what makes it special and that's what makes it unique. Yeah, I could see challenges there where you could say like, look, our values and our missions are kind of aligned, but you've got some people who, you know, you're a bigger company acquiring a, a scrappy startup and you've got people saying, hey, I, I really like being part of a small scrappy company. I don't want to work for a big company. Otherwise I would have done that already. And now here you are telling me I'm part of this bigger company and culture. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, it, it's the struggle of every big company is how do you keep autonomy and that level of independence and entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism lower in the organization. And I think we've struggled with it too. We by no means have had this perfect. And I think honestly, it's one of the things we're probably most afraid to say in our industry is that sometimes it's a perfect fit and it's a perfect match. And there are other times when it's like, listen, go find the thing that works for you and go be happy at a play. If you love a small company and you're now part of a big one, it mm. might be the best thing for you to go work at a small company. And that's okay. We should all be on uh, transparent and upfront about what the culture is and what it is we're trying to, to build here. And I think every employee has got to choose at some point, is this for me? And if not, what is for me? And let me go find that wherever mm -hmm. that is, even if it's not here. And I think it's one of the most refreshing things about Red Ventures is we're okay with that. We want this to be a place where people want to be here and where they learn what they love. And if that takes them somewhere else, fantastic. Let's celebrate it and let's prepare them to go succeed wherever it is they go, even if it's not here forever. Yeah. I want to ask you a couple more questions about transformations, cultural transformation, strategic shifts. Yeah. But I also want to Talk about culture because you just talked about, you said, hey, I want this to be a place where people really love working and they want to come to work. I would imagine, assume that everybody listening has that same goal, right? If you work, no matter what kind of company you work for, hey, we want to create a culture where people enjoy working here. They like working here. They have friends and they want to stay. But you see some companies that are much more successful than others at doing that. What do you think are some keys to creating a great culture where people are excited to to come to work and work where they work. I think, you know, for for a lot of folks, it's it starts with what you do and it starts with solving interesting problems. I think everybody loves solving interesting problems, mm. learning new skills, developing those skills to go solve those problems and having the autonomy to go get it. I'm a huge Daniel Pink drive and his like engagement 2.0. I think still plays out today. I think we still see it where people want autonomy, mastery, and purpose over what they're doing. And I think that's still true. I think as, especially as talent development people, we've realized that people stay at organizations where they're continuing to grow, where they're getting new opportunities. And even if it's not compensation, if it's just their career is continuing to grow, mm -hmm. that will keep people there. Yeah. What we've realized at, at Red Ventures and where we focused on it a ton, and there were inklings of this back at Chipotle too, was it's equally important of who you're working with and the mm -hmm. team around you, not just your manager, but the entire team. I think there's so much research on people join companies, but leave managers. Right. I think that's mostly true, but it's also the team around you. And if you've got yeah. a great support system, it's all of that. And so one thing we anchor on heavily here is the how you show up as an individual and the impact it has on the people around you is just as important as the work you do and the autonomy and the mastery of the purpose, mm -hmm. both of those have to be in play, the what and the how, yeah. in order to create an environment where people do want to stay and succeed and grow. Yeah. And of course, the why, right? The, the purpose behind all of it. Like, what are do you, you people want to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves? What is the purpose of the organization? Do I feel like I'm part of something that's making a difference? And do I feel like my work is making a difference, right? Contribution. Absolutely. And do we feel like we're, we're, this is all meaningful or are we just trying to drive a bottom dollar? Uh, and I think that's where in some places where we've missed or even at Chipotle where we missed a little 
but in the coli crisis was it, at a certain point it has to be about the bottom dollar. But if it's mm-hmm. only about that, that's where you struggle. Because obviously we're all businesses, we're all trying to make money. But if it's only about that, yeah. I think that's where employees start to struggle with the culture. Yeah. And, that, and that's, of course, like Chipotle being a publicly traded company. I mean, that's always a challenge, right? That you've got pressure from shareholders saying, hey, we want to see you turn in quarterly earnings versus the long-term investments in people and culture and strategy and how that plays out. And some CEOs are great at, you know, sort of navigating that and others are like get pulled in and, and almost destroyed by it. Well, I think and it, and it's fascinating to watch it because if you think about both Chipotle and Red Ventures running eight different companies, we all have to drive that bottom line growth. We all have to grow our businesses. And yeah. as people focusing on talent development and culture, what I've seen over eight companies here and back at Chipotle was the more you focus on culture while having that bottom line result mindset, it's compounding growth versus just one or the other. So the culture is really augmenting mm-hmm. that growth. And when you get it right, you're not just growing at a 15 or 20% clip. That's what drove Chipotle's growth massively for years was focusing on culture and developing people from within and retaining them. That's yeah. what enabled that massive growth and the same thing at Red Ventures over the past 20 years. Another question on culture, you mentioned, you know, people join companies and leave managers. We've all heard that over the years. And and we know that you could work for a great company, but if you hate your manager or the team around you, then your chances are you're going to leave no matter what, right? And and it could be could work the other way as well. Defining a culture, it's one thing to, to say what you want the culture to be and put posters on the wall and that sort of thing. But I feel like a lot of the culture, I think we all, most of us know this, is really defined by the leader's actions, those middle managers that are out there doing the work and teaching people how to act at work and, and leading by example. How do you set leaders up for success and create, not create leaders, but you know, help leaders influence a really positive culture? It's a great question. You know, One of the things we do is every first-time manager, uh, most companies have a first-time manager training program. Mm-hmm. We're, we're no different. And we we systematize that. And really, when you think about cultural transformation, it's not just teaching them the, the theories. We want to actually measure behavior change along the way. And so we talk about it a lot in L&D of measuring success or measuring the ROI of our programs. With our first-time manager program specifically, we're measuring key behaviors that enable the right culture on the team, developing the right people on the team, and creating that right environment. So we're measuring every first-time manager to say, are you creating an environment where people feel like they can speak up, where they can challenge the status quo and where they feel like their voice is being heard, i.e., are you being an inclusive leader? Are you driving results on your team? Are you both delivering on the, the operational KPIs that you need on your team, as well as the personal development goals of the people around you? And we're measuring it over the course of the program. And so part of it is we want to make sure we're actually measuring our ability to do this, not just talking about it. And then it's continuing education with our leaders around are you holding the right talent bars? We think about performance reviews. That's really our key mechanism at Red Ventures where we make sure every single year, are we holding a high bar for performance and are we enabling our people to achieve that bar? And every leader is both trained and developed and, and goes through that process every year. So speaking of performance reviews and performance management, I, I think I heard the other day, I don't remember what podcast it was, but Simon Sinek and, and Adam Grant had mentioned Red Ventures and the work you've done on performance management. I know someone on your team sent that to me and it was it was interesting to hear that this has gotten on their radar. So I wonder if you could tell me more about that. It is. I mean, it, it, huge fans of Simon Sinek and Adam Grant doing is on the Brene Brown podcast. I think like three powerhouses. Yeah, like the, the three industry. biggest names in the space pretty much. It was yeah. great. I can retire now based off of that alone. No, it was fantastic to hear about it because I think you hear them talk and they talk about 
the environment you grow in and the teams and the leaders that you work for. And, and what they were talking about was in our performance view process, we measure, I, I mentioned it earlier, but the what and the how, both what mm-hmm. you do and how you do it. And so we do measure 50% is how you show up and how you treat the people around you. And then there's an add-on question specifically around if you were starting a new team, would you want this person to join that team? Mm. And for leaders, it's if the, you if you were joining a new team, would you want this person to lead it? Yeah. And those two things combined get at a level of granularity around how our people are showing up every day. Mm. And the data is super compelling and it lines up with all of, you know, we follow all the right HR practices. But if there's an overwhelming number of people saying like, hey, I would not want this person on the team, that's alarm bells across the board. And our teams are coached on feedback and transparency. And we really want to know, and we follow through on it. And those are things where if somebody isn't showing up in the way we want, that's it's the ultimate detriment to the team. It slows the team down. It creates an mm. environment that can't operate. And then it's on us to either coach them and people do get better or we remove them from the organization because that's what slows us down. And it's it's tough because it's tough performance conversations, but it's all in an effort of creating teams where our teams can operate at their best and be at the forefront working with great people along the way. And so they were mentioning that specifically because not only do we measure it, but we follow through on it to make sure that as people are working here, you're both doing great work, solving interesting problems and doing it with great people every single day. I like those questions. And it reminds me, it's kind of funny. It's like the Marie Kondo, like organizational <laughs> yeah, uh, you- development approach to Marie Kondo, like art of tidying up, like go through your closet and look at things and ask, does this item bring me joy? And if I were shopping today, would I buy this? And if not, like maybe I shouldn't have this in my closet and maybe I shouldn't have this, this leader in my organization. <laughs> 100%, 100%. And it's all, you know, it's all in line with the right culture that you want or for Marie Kondo, the right wardrobe that you want or the right, right look or feel that you want, but it's it's living up to the values of who you want to be. Mm, so interesting. Okay. So we were talking earlier about cultural transformation, organizational transformation. You've been involved in a lot of this. We talked about acquisitions for people that are, in an organization that is looking at making a strategic change, a cultural or organizational change. And I know many people are going through this right now. What would you say are some of the key steps to making that a success? Where do you start? You know, a lot of it, if you're going to make any change, is so much about stakeholder buy-in, getting the buy-in of the people around you and figuring out who the people are. Because if you're going to make a change, people are naturally averse to change. We're comfortable Mm -hmm. with the way things are operating today. If we're going to change, we need to get people bought in. And so for me, the first step is aligning on who do we want to be? Like, Great that we want to change. Everyone's got a million ideas of what to change. Who do we want to be as an organization? What do we have an appetite for? One of my favorite leaders here at Red Ventures gave me this advice where you come into the organization and you've got all these new ideas of where you want to take the company. And so many people want to just do a complete 180 from where we're at today. This is all broken. Let's change the way we do it. And really, that is probably the most impossible change to make is to move 180 degrees in the opposite Mm -hmm. direction. She gave the advice of try to just move 10 degrees every 90 days as opposed to 180 degrees all at once. And when I thought about it like that, it's incremental progress repeatedly and consistently over time. And to me, that's an easier way to get people bought in. It's much easier to get budget for a million-dollar project or initiative if you start with a $10,000 pilot. Start with a pilot, start small, get the buy-in, prove success, and then expand, and then go bigger and do it again. It takes time, but you're chipping away at change versus trying to do it all at once. 
Now, Chipotle was a random case where we had to change everything on a dime. But really, if you break down what happened and how Chipotle transformed into what it is today, it was one procedure at a time every week for two years straight. And that's how you make organizational transfer change versus we're going to do this week. Here's 39 new procedures and you've got to memorize them all. You can't digest it. You can't bring Mm -hmm. all of that in. And so as we think about whether we're acquiring businesses here, trying to get them in, we're not giving you everything all at once. This month, let's focus on this and let's move you 10 degrees to the right. And then for the next 90 days, focus on this and let's move you 10 degrees to the right. And over the course of six months, 12 months, mm-hmm. you start making progress against change. And I think then yeah. you get the buy-in, you get stakeholders to align and rally around, okay, this is possible. And I see the benefits of it. We have time to then change the things that don't work because there are always things that fail. And now we can make progress over the course of one to two years. Yeah. So it, it's starting with that that why, right? That purpose, beginning with the end in mind. Where, where do you want this to go? What do you want people to get out of this? And then getting people on board, getting stakeholder buy-in, and then not trying to boil the ocean, as they say, but making incremental changes similar to the advice you hear about how to eat an elephant, right? You do it one one bite, bite at a time. time. One bite at a time. It's full of connections today. It, it, there it is. It's, it, it plays out over and over again, where I think too many of us want to drive change too quickly or too mm. fast because of some agenda. And it's easier to slow it down almost. It's it's long work over time to change an organization and the way that an organization operates to really make it sustainable. But to me, that's the way that it's worked over years. And you can see it play out over and over again that that's where sustainable change. And I can actually see it. If I look back at some of the things that we did at Chipotle, I've been gone for four years now, mm-hmm. and they're still using some of the same processes and procedures that were in place then because you go through the process of embedding change and it's still there. And we do the same thing here at Red Ventures. The way we act, the way that we operate is there for years after you do the work to drive that transformational change. Mm. And I think they're still making great food there, but I don't know. I haven't been to Chipotle in in quite some time. Still going, still going. And now they're changing recipes like crazy too. Are they? Uh, Maybe I'll have to check it out. It used to be like my favorite fast casual restaurant, but I switched to a plant-based diet a couple of years ago and not so much on the meat anymore. And, you know, they do have some vegetables, but it's mostly just peppers and onions. It's not really like... (laughs) (laughs) Got the tofu too. Peppers, onions, and tofu. Yeah, they got some tofu, but it's it's, it's not the first choice anymore. Somebody needs to start a great alternative to that that is like more catering to the plant-based crowd because there's more people coming on board. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, Sam is that we are in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty in the economy, in our environment. There's always uncertainty, right? We never know what the future brings, but certainly as you and I are recording this at the end of 2022, there have been a lot of layoffs in the news, a lot of talk about a recession and other things, inflation, things going on. And I think that creates a lot of uncertainty and a lot of nervousness for employees in a lot of uh, companies, especially certain industries like tech and software, where there's been a lot of cutbacks. How do you think about approaching, you know, addressing this with people to give them as much peace of mind as you can and keep people moving forward in the right direction? It is. And it is the toughest thing. And Red Ventures um, and our teams are constantly trying to keep up with with changes like this. And and the, the challenge that I give my teams And what I try to get them to focus on is there are a million things outside of our control. The world will always be changing. There will Mm -hmm. always be ups and downs. Focus on what you can control and can control what you can control. So within our teams, within talent development, what are the roles we are recruiting for right now? And let's be amazing at that. What are the things that we know won't change 
as an organization. And let's make sure we double down on those things in a time where there's so much uncertainty. And so I think for everybody, as you look at recessionary times or downturns in any company, you can always go back to, all right, well, what are the things that make us the most revenue or drive revenue or drive savings? Those will always be important, especially in recessionary times. You can control those and focus on those things. Then mm. you start to focus on the other areas of your business and go, well, what is also most important right now? Because in recessionary times, businesses are scrambling to drive revenue or drive growth. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question might be different than it was 90 days ago. And so you've got to, if you're controlling what you control, focus on what matters now to the business and make sure you're delivering and driving on those things that matter today yeah. while we scramble to come back. And then that you at least control something. I think, you know, Adam Grant talked about it before, but this feeling of languishing is what mm -hmm. he's been talking about. Languish, where if you're thinking about your life now and five years from now, is it within your control? And if you don't feel like you don't see the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, or you don't feel optimistic about where things are going, you feel this feeling of languishing, which is kind of what we've all been feeling for three years. I think this next year is going to be much of the same. Mm -hmm. The trick is, Focus on what you can control and yes. find joy and find value in what you can control. And if you can do both of those things, all of a yeah. sudden your feeling, your sentiment starts to go or starts to increase, mm -hmm. even if the world around you is chaotic and changing. Yeah. Love that. I'm all about it. Ownership mindset, focus your energy on things that you can control. It's a lot of things we can't control the economy, you know, the stock market, all that stuff, what our company leadership does, but we can focus on what we can control. And as you mentioned, uh, focus on ways that you can provide value to your organization so that you are seen as valuable and uh, much more likely to stay if if tough decisions are needed to be made. Sam, this has been great. Is there anything that we didn't cover that coming into this you, you thought would be a good idea to talk about or interesting or anything that you wanted to talk about that would be useful for others, you know, your, your colleagues in talent development? The last comment you just mentioned on is probably the one thing I would double click on is to say in talent development or recruiting operations or any of our HR functions, driving results and really showing the value of what you do. You've had some great podcasts on here talking about measuring the effectiveness of what we're mm -hmm. doing. In recessionary times, this is the most, like if you're not doing that now, it becomes 10 times more important than it ever was. And it feels like if you're, if you're not doing it, now is the time to start. And your ability to prove those results and stay in lockstep with the business is the thing that we should all be doing anyway. And now is the time to like to really double down on it because it feels just so much more intense for everybody right yeah. now and just proves the value of following through on measuring results, staying in line with the business and realizing that we're not just talent development professionals, we're also business professionals and business leaders at the same time. Absolutely. Sam, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you and I have been connected on LinkedIn for a while. I know you're pretty active on there. If anybody wants to reach out, I'm, I'm guessing they can, they can hit you up on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would love to connect with anybody for sure. Cool. Thanks again, Sam, for being here. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for my conversation with Sam Warbeck about cultural transformations. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got a lot of value from that conversation as I did. Sam has some great experience and works in a company now that's involved in so many acquisitions, uh, so many shifts and changes. It was great learning from him and the experience that he has. 
And I look forward to talking with him more soon. We have a bonus Q&A episode coming up in a couple of days with Sam again, where I'll ask him about some of his work experiences, accomplishments, and challenges he's been through. And I plan on inviting Sam to come speak in the Talent Development Think Tank community this year as well. If you are not a member, you can find all the information on our website, tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank. That is the new home for all things Talent Development Think Tank. So we recently changed the name of this podcast to Talent Development Think Tank. And you can find the podcast there. You can find the membership community there. And you can find info on our conference and other events there as well. So everything you need is at tdtt.us. And if you're signing up for the community, you can use the code HOTSEAT, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, to take 10% off. All right. Thank you again for listening and joining me. Stay tuned. Our next conversation will be my bonus Q&A with Sam Warbeck. <laughs>